0: Well, praise God. Lord, we just come to you and we honor you right now. Lord, as you are among us this morning, we pray that, Lord, that you would speak to us. God, I want to pray right now that there would be a real awareness, a consciousness that, Jesus, you are here. Lord, wherever we're seated, Lord, on a chair at church or in an armchair at home, I just pray that, Lord, we would become deeply aware and conscious. Right now, of the fact that you are there, you are beside us, you are with us, you are in the room. And I really pray that, Lord, that it will be your voice we hear speaking to us today. Lord, cut out what is my voice and let us hear your voice. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, the title of my message today that I want to share with you guys is It's Personal. It's Personal. And I want to talk to you today about the gospel. You know, whenever the gospel is shared, God is calling. The theological term is the the gospel call. It's how when the gospel is shared, God is calling to us. God is speaking actually to our intellect. God is speaking to our emotions. God is speaking to our wills. He speaks to our intellect as the facts of salvation are shared from his word. Who Christ is and and what he's done. Romans 10 verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He speaks to our emotions. He issues a, a personal, heartfelt invitation to us as we come under the sound of the gospel. And he speaks to our wills. He asks us to hear his invitation and willingly respond from our own heart. Harry, I wonder if you can just turn me down just a touch up here, please, buddy, because I feel a little boomy as I'm just sharing from here. Thanks, mate. The gospel is a personal invitation that seeks a personal response. And it's this whole area of response that I really want to focus upon today I want to encourage us in this because I want to encourage us in how to share the gospel. You know, what we're believing for when we share the gospel. But I also want to ask you a question this morning, which is, have you responded to the gospel? The first thing I want to say to us all this morning is that right responses depend upon right information. To give people the chance, and it is the chance, the opportunity... To make the right response to the gospel, we have to give them the right information. Just to illustrate that point, this week in the joys of homeschooling and the challenge that is that largely falls upon my wife's shoulders rather than mine, and the children are doing their very best to navigate their way through it, Amy told us she had home ec and that her mission this week was for home ec, she had to make Rocky Road. Now, I love Rocky Road. And uh, so I was excited about that and mum got all the ingredients and uh, Claire had to take Beth somewhere. I think it might have been to work. And so uh, Amy had her recipe, her ingredients, her recipe. She set about making her rocky road and I came downstairs to get a cup of tea and uh, this rather sad and sullen figure emerged from the kitchen. And I sort of said to her, what's wrong, babe? And she's said this sad face. I said, Oh, it's all gone wrong. And I'm thinking, oh, no, how's it all gone wrong? And she was like, I just put all the ingredients in. It's just not, it's just all dry and clumpy and everything like that. And I looked at it and I said, her, I said, did you melt the butter? Being the sort of top chef that I am and everything like that. I said, did you melt the butter? And she said, dad, it never said to melt the butter. The recipe never said to melt the butter. So I just chucked the butter in as it was. And then all the chocolate and everything just seemed to all dry up. I said, oh, you've got to melt the butter, babe. And so the right information never gave her the opportunity. Sorry, the wrong information caused her to make a wrong response because the recipe never said to melt the butter. And that caused the wrong outcome or the wrong conclusion. She needed the right information to give her the chance to make the right response in order that there would be the right outcome. So the second time, on the advice of Master Chef Dad, she melts the butter. Guess what comes out? Lovely rocky road. See, if we want to share the gospel, we need to share it in the right way, with the right information to give people the chance to respond rightly. Now, there's no guarantees whenever we share the gospel, when the gospel call goes forth, that someone will say yes, but let's give them every chance. I want to revisit a scripture that I shared with you a few weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, where Paul says there, God sent me to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, verbal eloquence, fancy rhetoric, some versions say, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 2 says, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. I wonder if you'd say that with me this morning, wherever you are. Plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is, then, Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. See, the Corinthians wanted Paul to preach with this eloquence and. Pizazz. They had these skilled orators in their day who they really enjoyed listening to. And 1 Corinthians tells us, the First Corinthians tells us, they were drawn as a people to want to follow certain teachers and gather at certain pulpits. They kind of liked a bit of a celebrity preacher. And they had a bit of an issue with the Apostle Paul because 2 Corinthians 10 verse 10 tells us they said of him, in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. And so they wanted a certain style of preacher who would give them a certain gospel in a certain way that was kind of slick and attractive. And they're like, Paul, if you want to get people in and if you want church to grow, just make your message, make the gospel, make the way you deliver it just a bit more popular. Make it a little bit more palatable. And yet Paul intentionally chooses to say, actually, I'm going to limit my words. I'm going to share the gospel plainly and simply. Less he says, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You'll remember I said that a couple of weeks ago that means to deprive of force, to render useless, to make of no effect, to neutralize. Wow. We can neutralize the power of the cross in the way that we bring the gospel. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 to 5, my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. God had revealed to him that the gospel is powerful when it's shared plainly and simply depending on, Upon the Holy Spirit. Who Jesus is. Why He died. If we're telling people they need saving. Why do they need a Savior? The gospel message that all have sinned. That there's a penalty for our sin. But that Jesus Christ has died to pay that price for us. The message that anyone who trusts in Christ is promised forgiveness. And eternal life. And yet it's so easy to fall into a trap, and I have before, of thinking, how can I best package the gospel? What will work? Our intentions are good. We love Jesus. We want to reach people. We want to see lives change. And so we look for, what's the way, the angle, how I can bring in the gospel, how I can bring someone to church, how I can get someone interested, how we can have that kind of interest brewing that makes people say do you know what i I, what tell me more but paul is actually saying here that when what we think others want or what others would like begins to shape the gospel we share we drain the cross of its power wow And actually, if we begin to give people the wrong information, Paul says, I won't do this lest their faith rest on human wisdom when it's got to rest on the power of God. So if we begin to give people the wrong information, the danger is we see people making the wrong responses and we have people drawing the wrong conclusions. But the power of the cross is released when in dependency upon the Holy Spirit, the gospel is shed plainly, And simply, I read it earlier on that Romans 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. I just wonder if we even need to find our way back to a simple place of letting Scripture speak. I want to encourage us today, friends, that the simple gospel works. Our church is proof of it. I'll tell you why in a minute. Romans 1 verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You'd have heard it before that that power is the word dynamis or dynamis from which we get the word dynamite. In other words, the gospel is explosive stuff. Our history of this church proves it. Bridget's been digging into some of the history of our church, going through the archives. We've got a section on our website now about our history. You can go and read it. She went all the way back to a magazine that used to be produced by Assemblies of God called Redemption Tidings, articles that featured in the Lynn News and in the Assemblies of God magazine friends, I was blown away by what God has done in our town. Seventy years ago, in 1951, so 70 years ago, a chap called Brother Harrison, a caravan evangelist, came to King's Lynn. He says this. I'll read you from the articles that we have. He, caravan evangelist, Brother Harrison writes, Well, we have spared no effort. To leave an impression for God on this town. Open air work has been significantly blessed of the Lord. Twelve have decided for Christ by this method. Our first convert, a young man, came to the Lord before the campaign started. Several days later, we were conducting an open air meeting in a small square. After a short but powerful time of witness, an appeal was made and two ladies came forward asking for cards and showing every sign of deep sincerity of purpose." One of these, we learned later, was the mother of the boy saved before the campaign started. Several American brothers from a nearby camp have helped with the open-air meetings in which four souls have accepted Christ. A salient feature of the campaign has been the conversion of several of the staff of a large catering business in the town. Twelve of the staff have attended the meetings. A Methodist leader converted in our meeting has used his influence and procured for us a lovely hall on a new estate. A wonderful opportunity, seeing that there is no church building there of several thousand people. Thirty decisions have now been made, and Brother Spraggins has now arrived in the town to carry on in establishing the assembly. This is the roots of our church. One year later, 1952, a chap, a Welshman and a pastor called Hal Harris arrives. Latest news flash from King's Lynn. In the first week of Welshman Pastor House Harris' campaign, in the first week, 400 decisions for Christ. 100 on Sunday night alone. Hall packed to capacity. Queues form long before meetings commence. Blind eyes have been opened. The lame walk. Mr. C.P. Newham of Guanac Terrace, Lynn, has been unable to move his left arm out sideways since a fall five years ago, an affliction which seriously hampered him in his work as a blacksmith. Now it's fine, he showed a reporter, as he could swing his arm about normally. If I'd done this before, I'd have cried out with pain. A well-known businessman who preferred to remain anonymous has had trouble with his legs, walking with a stoop and aided by sticks. After I'd gone up to Pastor Harris, I laid down my sticks and walked backwards and frontwards in front of the congregation unaided. Twelve year old Rosie Shortlin, second daughter of Mr. and Mrs. A.E. Shortlin of 33 Bunnett Avenue, has been blind in her left eye since birth and has always had to wear thick lensed glasses. She always told us she could not see a thing out of the affected eye, and an optician confirmed it was defective said her mother yesterday. She visited one of the meetings with the greatest faith and after Pastor Harris prayed for her, she said she could see the congregation with both eyes. She's not worn her glasses since. Pat Jacobs, 10-year-old daughter of Mr. and Mrs. E.C. Jacobs, 43 Bunnett Avenue, has been a sufferer since her birth. Her affliction, flat feet. She caused her to walk awkwardly. She had to wear special shoes, said her father yesterday. Now the Lynn News report, her feet are completely normal again and she can wear ordinary shoes. Listen to this. 1,000 decisions for Christ in four weeks campaign at Lynn." Look at this headline. 1,000 decisions for Christ in a four weeks campaign. Where? At Kings Lynn? This is the roots and the history of our church. Packed hall, they report. The events at Blackfriars Hall Inn have been witnessed by hundreds of people. Every meeting, the room is packed. People queue for an hour or more before the doors open. Generally, there's a lot of people overflowing through the double doors, craning their necks to try and get a glimpse of the front of the hall. Informality is the keynote of the meeting. Hymns and catchy choruses Choruses are sung to the hand accompaniment of hand clapping and jingling Piano. There is no charge for a mission, but a collection is made and a charge of sixpence for the hymn sheets. The News and Advertiser interviewed some of the people who said they had been cured at these meetings by divine healing. This is what they had to say. Mr. Ronald, Prince of Terrington St. Clements, who'd suffered since birth from flat foot and wasted leg from the knee downwards. I've always walked awkwardly and with a limp and had to wear a leather pad under my affected foot. I was discharged from two services in the last war because of this ill. On the advice of my grandfather, I went to a meeting. Now I can walk perfectly and have got the pad in my pocket. It was a little frightening at first, but I've got used to it and I really feel a new man. Mr. Peter Booty, son of a policeman, attended two hospitals, Kingsland and London, with wasted muscles in both legs, both calipers discarded, and he's working every day. Oh, nightly meetings have become the talk of the town. Walk into any hotel or public house or club room or other meeting place in Lynn. Listen to the conversation for five to ten minutes and it will be surprising if conversation does not turn to the events of the past fortnight at Blackfriars Hall. Wow. Do it again, Lord. Has this gospel changed? No. Has our God changed? No. Friends, I believe that God wants us to have confidence in the gospel. In sharing the gospel simply and plainly. In person and in preaching. I want to consider right now, what is the right response to the gospel? This is my second point. I want to say to you, the right response is faith. And repentance. See, salvation hinges upon the right response to the gospel. So we can consider what is the saving response. You could also phrase it this way. How do I know when someone is saved? How do I know I'm saved? How do we know what to believe for? I'm going to get my wife to come and help me. She hasn't actually got a clue because I forgot to tell her that she was going to help me right now. But... I just want to get her to come and stand there. She can remove her face mask because she's my wife. But it's in what's called, just come and stand here. It's in what is called the turning. This is all I want you to remember. Not all I want you to remember this morning, but at this point, this is what I want you to remember. It's called the turning. And salvation is simply when, as someone responds to the gospel, they turn from sin, from a life that's going in this direction. And they turn from their sin to Christ. It's called the turning. And the turning from sin, the turning from sin is simply called repentance. And the turning to Christ is faith. The turning. Acts 20 verse 21, Paul preached a message of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Living Translation, he says, I've had one message, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God. And having faith in our Lord Jesus. And faith and repentance go hand in hand. They are the right or the saving response to the gospel. This is what we're believing for as we share it. This is what needs to happen in our life. For salvation to become possible. They are two acts of uh, sorry, they are two aspects of one act. They are two sides of the same coin. They must come together. It's not one then the other. It's a simultaneous as I turn from my sin in repentance, I turn to Christ in faith. As I turn for, to Christ for salvation from my, for my sins, I turn away from the sin I'm asking him to save me from. It's impossible to have genuine faith without having genuine repentance. But what is faith? And what is repentance? Because we need the right information if we're going to have the opportunity to make the right response. Well, they're the next response to knowledge. You see, I said earlier on that it's important that people understand who Jesus is and why he died. We need to share the facts of salvation. I want to just consider for a moment faith and then I'm going to consider repentance. John 3 verse 1 through to 6 is the story there of Nicodemus. And it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews who came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He'd arrived at some knowledge of who Jesus was. His facts were right. He was from God. He understood something about who Jesus was. And Jesus answered him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jump down to verse 14 through to 17, because this is all part of the same conversation. separate out those well-known verses of John 16 from the context of the conversation that's happening with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes with some knowledge, with some understanding, but Jesus immediately moves the conversation to salvation. His journey to Jesus begins with two things. Something attracted him to Jesus. The signs, the wonders, the miracles, the teaching that they heard. And as I said, he came with some knowledge. The signs, the miracles, the teaching drew him in. But just note that Jesus did not stop there. He moved into matters of salvation. And he shares the gospel message with him. It will always be the case that different things will attract people to us, and different things will attract people to us. To church, and we see that as a beautiful family atmosphere. Or I love the kids' ministry, or the people seem different and loving and warm. Or I just love the way that you shine in the workplace and the way you are. And I see something upon you. But, friends, it's great when that happens, and I love it when that happens. But please hear my heart we must never stop there. Things always have to turn. To matters of salvation. To the gospel. We owe it to everyone who we come in contact with and who walks through the doors of this church to share the gospel. They may be attracted for different reasons, but we have to share the gospel. They may have even arrived at some knowledge of who Jesus is, and that is good. But Jesus says it's not enough. He knew He'd come from God. He'd arrived at some right conclusions. We remember that people need some knowledge and understanding of who he is. But I want you to see this. The saving response is when knowledge develops into personal trust. Because there is no such thing as saving facts. But there is saving faith. And Jesus says to him, Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in me. We say you've got to have faith in Jesus. But what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? That word believe in the root, in the original Greek language, we understand then what faith and belief in Jesus is. We'll pop the definition up. It means to commit to trust. To commit to one's trust. This is what it is to believe and have faith in. To commit to trust Him. To commit to one's trust. It means commitment and dependency. It never says here, whoever believes Him. But whoever believes in Him. And that word, in, is key. Because it means actually, in the original language, really strong. It means believe into Him. It means my personal trust goes into the very person of Christ and who He is. And it rests in Him as a person. Not whoever believes Him, but whoever believes in Him, into Him. My trust reaches inside of Him and rests in who He is as a person. Who He is and what He has achieved. Upon the cross. Jesus is saying it's not intellectual trust that saves anybody. It's personal trust. There are not saving facts, but there is saving faith. See, the facts of the gospel are this. I'm a sinner in need of salvation. Christ alone has paid the penalty for my sin and offers salvation to me. He's the only way to forgiveness, to a genuine relationship with God, to heaven. But I titled this message that I'm sharing with you today, It's Personal, for good reason. Because God shows us what we need to see in everyone's lives and what needs to be in our life is this. To be saved, I have to put my trust in Jesus Christ. I have to make it Personal. I have to make a personal decision to depend upon Him and put my trust in Him as my Savior. And the right response to the gospel call is to put your trust in Jesus. Salvation depends upon it. So saving faith is defined as this: saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ as a living Person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. Saving faith is not just belief in facts, but personal trust in Jesus to save me. So we must share the gospel plainly and simply because when people have the true and the right information about who Christ is and what He has done, they are better able to put their trust in Him. Secondly, I want to just take repentance. Friends, we're going to be just a bit, little bit longer this morning, but it's important. It's important. I want to come back to the understanding now of the turning. In relation to salvation, the turning of repentance looks like what? It simply signifies a change of mind about sin and about Jesus. I want to preach simply and plainly To you this morning. It's a change of mind that results in a change of action. This is what repentance is. It results in a change of what we do and don't do. Of how we do life and don't do life. Acts 26 verse 20 says they should repent and turn to God. The turning. Performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. The Amplified Version says doing deeds and living lives which are consistent with repentance. So my thoughts, the way I lived, were going in this direction. Now for some people that may be a willful uh, rejection of Christ. I'm not interested, I don't want to live His way. For others it may have been out of ignorance or the wrong information or having never heard the gospel. But we were living in this way. My life, my thoughts, my plans were going in this way. But I repent, I hear the sound of the gospel, I come under the gospel call and I repent of that as by the Holy Spirit, God convicts me and shows me the weight of my sin, the damage of my sin, the cost of my sin, what it costs me here and now, what it costs me eternally if I continue to live under the weight and the guilt of that sin. And as God shows me, I repent and I turn from that and I have a change of mind and a change of heart that says I'm not going to live that way. But in faith, I turn to God and I have a new way of thinking about sin and holiness and living for God and doing His will. So it always recognizes I've lived a wrong way. My thoughts and my life have gone down a wrong path, but I determine to move towards a new way and go forward in Him. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly grief or godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation. It's a sorrow towards God. When I realize what my sin does, how it hurts Him, how it messes up and denies the Father who loves me to bits and wants to be part of my life, holy and clean and pure God and wants a relationship with me, but sin cost me that. Sin cost me that. Sin cost me the chance to know Him here and now. Sin cost me an eternity with Him in heaven. And the price is death and the price is separation and the price is hell. And I begin to realize that, that I've let Him down and I've failed Him. And listen, I can't make anyone feel that. I can't make you feel that this morning. And do you know what? You can't make yourself feel that this morning. I don't ask you to suddenly make yourself Feel that. Because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's why I said earlier on, we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus says when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin. That's why we have to pray when we share the gospel. That's why I've been praying going into this morning that the Holy Spirit would move. Because He comes and He shows us our need of a Savior and the weight of our sin. And it produces this godly grief and this godly sorrow that's different from worldly grief and worldly sorrow. It just says, oops, I've been caught. Sorry, I'll try harder not to do that again. It's more than that. Because actually it means I turn from a rejection of Christ to faith in Christ. And actually biblical repentance says, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that again. I turn away from a way of living I no longer want to discount or ignore Jesus. I put my faith in Him. And the evidence and the mark of the right response to the gospel is a changed life. It's called the fruit of repentance. See, when someone has really rightly responded to the gospel, they can't watch the same things they used to watch. Those programs, those scenes... They can't continue to speak the same way they spoke and use the same language and the same crudeness. They can't continue to act in the same way and treat people or do things that they did before. And if occasionally they slip into doing something because none of us are perfect, there's a conviction that comes by the Holy Spirit that says, you know that's wrong. And they repent. Because we're talking about initial faith and initial repentance today. But friends, the heart attitude of faith and repentance never stops through our life. We continually, every day, it's in the Lord's prayer. Forgive us this day. Our daily sins, our sins. So that heart attitude attitude never stops. But friends, if you can still watch the same thing, speak the same way, use the same language, treat people in that same way, still make that smutty remark, still crack that dirty joke and not feel anything for it. Friends, hear my heart. You need to get saved. You need to come to Jesus and get that sin dealt with in faith and in repentance. I remember an illustration. I'm nearly done. I remember an illustration. I once heard a story, a story about two butchers. Two guys who'd opened a butcher's shop and prospered. And then an evangelist came to town. One of the butchers was saved. He tried to persuade his partner to accept salvation, but to no avail. Why won't you, Charlie? asked the born-again man. Listen, Lester, the other butcher said. If I get religion too, who's going to weigh the meat? The right response, the saving response to the gospel is when Jesus is our Savior and Lord. I can't have him as one and not the other. So many people want Jesus as a Savior, but don't want him as Lord. Friends, it's impossible because faith and repentance must go together. They go hand in hand. I can't have him as a Savior and not as a Lord, as my Lord. Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe in your heart. Put your personal trust in there. Confess with your mouth that He is Lord. He is Savior right there in that very Scripture. He's got to be Savior and Lord. He's my Savior. I depend upon Him for my salvation. He's my Lord. I commit to forsake sin and follow Christ. Wayne Grudem said in the book, Systematic Theology, not light reading that one But He said, when we realize that genuine saving faith must be accompanied by genuine repentance for sin, it helps us understand why some preaching of the gospel has such inadequate results today. If there's no mention of the need for repentance, sometimes the gospel message becomes only, believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved without any mention of repentance at all, but this is a watered-down version of the gospel that does not ask for wholehearted commitment to Christ. Commitment to Christ, if genuine, must include a commitment to turn from sin. Preaching the need for faith without repentance is preaching only half of the gospel. It will result in many people being deceived, thinking they've heard the Christian gospel and tried it, but nothing's happened. They might even say something like, I accepted Christ as Savior and it's never worked. Yet they never really did receive Christ as their Savior. For he comes to us in his majesty and invites us to receive him as he is. The one who deserves to be and demands to be absolute Lord of our lives as well. Ben, perhaps you could just come back for me. I have a question I want to ask everyone today. I don't mind that we're going to be going on with the service for another five or ten minutes because this is so important. I want to look everyone in the eye in the room and at home. And I want to ask you a question. Is it personal? Personal? Is it personal? Have you come to trust in Christ personally? And when you're sharing this gospel that really works, this is what we're believing to see. In your heart and from your heart, have faith and repentance come together. Have you turned away from your sin? And have you turned towards Him? See, five verses from the end of the Bible. So right at the very closing page of the Bible. In other words, this is one of the things that God wants us to take away when we read this book. And He wants it to live on in our memory. The gospel call is summed up. Revelation 22, verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, come. The gospel word is summed up in one word. And it says, And let the one who hears say, come. And the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. See, I want to offer anyone who's watching or here today the chance to say a prayer in a minute. God is offering you today salvation. A chance to respond rightly to the gospel call. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus simply put it like this. Come to me. Three words. And you know, there's been a debate around the sinner's prayer and leading people in it. But I want you to understand in a minute when we pray this prayer, the prayer itself doesn't save us. Just the prayer in itself. It's the attitude of the heart. It represents that matters. And if I decide to say this prayer with all my heart, Today I can truly come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to stand to our feet in the room here right now. We're going to sing a closing song and then there's going to be some notices. But right now, I want to ask you that question. And if you have responded to this question as you go forth, I want to say to you, this is what we're believing for. You heard the stories. God's done it before. We'll do it again. But I want to ask you, is it, personal because friends salvation depends upon the answer to this question jesus has done everything that he could do he has paid the price he has said it is finished what remains today is a gospel call an offer of salvation from the most loving father who wants a relationship a genuine relationship with you wants to do life with you forgive you for your sin, the guilt and the shame of it, and wants to spend all eternity with you. But how you respond is key. Is it personal? Let's just pop this prayer up. If in your heart today, you're ready to make it personal, and you're ready to say, Lord, I'm turning. In this moment, Lord, it's a turning From it may have been a willful rejection, an ignorant rejection. It may have been rejection because you just didn't know and you hadn't heard. Or it may be that you've come here with some knowledge or something attracted you here. But you're saying today, do you know what? I don't want to live in that direction. I want to turn from that sin that will cost me everything. And I'm going to turn and put my faith in Jesus. Then read this prayer with me today. We'll read it together in the room. Just read it with me on the count of... No, we don't even need a count because that makes it sound all jazzy. We're not going to do that. It's plain and simple. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your grace to forgive me and your love to change me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please forgive me for the sin in my life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And with your help, I will live my life for you. Amen. We're going to sing a closing song right now. If you've responded to that today, I want you to please do us one thing. Let us know so we can journey with you, encourage you, partner with you. Drop a comment in the chat. Send us an email. Drop us a text. But please let us know so we can partner with you. Come and tell us in person. Pick up a phone. Ring us but let us know. I promise you this much, friends. If you've responded to that, it's the best decision you've ever made. Hallelujah. I don't regret it for one minute because you're saved, you're forgiven, and you're free.